1: So because it's the holidays and uh, you have to sort of dress professionally when when you cover NFL football games, uh, I've been tossing around the idea of asking for a a wardrobe upgrade and uh, and there's really no better place to look than uh, than Indochino. So for your holiday shopping. Can't recommend Indochino enough. Great prices, a lot of really good looks, really great products. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BlueWire, for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. That's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing, particularly with the holidays right around the corner. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit.
0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
1: New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers.
0: We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's
2: in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go.
1: Touchdown. All right, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, a road trip edition. Uh, my name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, Kyle Madsen back in California of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and a producer at 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. Kyle, uh, so it is a little bit warmer in Florida. I'm in uh, Bradenton, Florida right now than it was uh, in Baltimore yeah. where, where it was about 40. So if you hear the air conditioning on behind me, it's because... It is I who am trying to beat the heat this week.
2: Oh, you son of a gun! <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm doing the opposite, actually. I'm I currently have a hot cup of decaf because I'm an 87 year old man.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's actually one of those things where I can't I can't turn off this fan uh, for whatever reason. So if there's a, if there's a light humming, uh, that makes it sound like I'm in a wind tunnel. I am not. Uh, sadly it is out of my control, but, uh, yeah, the bit is I'm, I'm trying to beat the heat. It's actually not that warm here. It's like, it's like mid sixties, but anyway, they don't,
2: they don't call Bradenton, Florida, the automatic fan capital of the nation for nothing folks.
1: Yeah. That's a great point. (laughs) Uh, so why am I in Florida? You might ask. Yourself If you haven't read anything that, that forty myself or other 49ers reporters have put out the last few days, the 49ers are practicing in Sarasota, Bradenton area uh, after that Ravens loss on Sunday, which this podcast is going to be all about um, because they want to do what they did between weeks one and two when they went to Youngstown after playing in Tampa and they stayed acclimated to the time zone and, and those type of things. Less less travel time, a chance to continue to you know build bonds with teammates in a training camp-type atmosphere and whatnot uh, before Sunday's game against the New Orleans Saints. So instead of flying back to California after that loss in Baltimore, the 49ers flew about two, two and a half hours south to Florida, and they're spending the, the week here. So that's where I am. So it means a uh, an 11- or 12-day trip. Um, instead of a a pair of uh, weekend-long trips. So we're in Florida. A little bit of news before we kick off this Ravens review. Uh, Kyle Shanahan in his conference call today said he's optimistic. Left tackle Joe Staley, pass rusher D Ford, and running back Matt Breida will be back uh, after multiple game absences for Sunday's game in New Orleans. At least he's optimistic that that could happen. He didn't say for sure, but typically when Kyle Shanahan indicates that level of optimism this early in the week... It might indicate that those players were close to playing in the previous game, and and the plan is to get them fully ramped up for for the next game. So Richard Sherman, cornerback, left the game late in the fourth quarter with a knee injury, uh, a painful knee injury. He had a pretty pretty pronounced limp post game. Said he was in a lot of pain, but he said he plans to play. And Sherman's a guy who started 117 straight games with the Seahawks, so uh, I think there's a good chance that he plays, but. Uh, it really remains to be seen, and and fortunately for the 49ers at least, and we can talk about this later in the week when we have a better idea of Sherman's status, they do have some depth now at cornerback with the emergence of Emmanuel Mosley, who replaced Akela Witherspoon for a slew of games early on this season. So Joukowsky-Tart, strong safety, has a rib fracture. He's day-to-day at the moment. Could be just a pain tolerance thing for him. Uh, nose tackle DJ Jones sprained his ankle Sunday. He's day-to-day. Julian Taylor has... Uh, issues with a tendon in his elbow, and it could be a multiple-week absence for him. Dante Pettis' knee sprain uh, last week during practice is unlikely to play Sunday, so we'll have to see about his status going forward as the week progresses as well. Uh, but Kyle, we're going to talk about the Ravens game, and obviously 20-17, to 17, a really good competitive game, tough environment. Uh, the rain was coming down. It was cold, like I mentioned. What, what were your... What, What were your key takeaways from watching that game back in California?
2: I think the 49ers established themselves to me. If there was any doubt left that they were the A contender in the NFC and perhaps the biggest contender in the NFC, uh, I think that doubt is gone now. They went into Baltimore in wet, nasty, cold conditions, and they punched Baltimore in the mouth. And Baltimore punched back for sure. But it was the kind of game that I think there were a lot of people who thought the 49ers couldn't play and couldn't hang in. And they did. And Baltimore is playing as well as any team in the league right now. And the 49ers were a play or two away from beating them. And heading into December, I think that's a really good spot to be.
1: Yeah, there was, I, I think... You know, a lot of people will look look at the fact that, you know, the two best opponents the 49ers have played, the Seahawks and the Ravens, both came down to game-winning kicks basically as time expired, um, and say, well, the 49ers still haven't really beaten anybody yet. I would obviously push back on that idea because winning like they did on the road against the Rams in October was, was obviously impressive. Beating the Packers the way they did who pounced back Sunday against New York and the record being what it is now in December, I, I think should should quiet the talk of you know how good is this team. They're they're obviously a contender, and I think the way they played, um, I, I, you can make a strong argument that they outplayed the Ravens for a decent portion of that game. And I think the the reason why uh, 49ers fans should probably feel optimistic about it is the fact that look they out they outgained Baltimore three thirty one to two eighty three. Yeah. Um, if you take away the Jimmy Garoppolo fumble, which obviously the turnovers for Garoppolo are are just something you you have to live with at this point, um, you know that led directly to a touchdown. Uh, you had a roughing the passer pen- penalty on Aziz Al Alshire that negated a third down incompletion that would have led to a long field goal. Instead, it was an automatic first down, half the distance penalty. And the Ravens got a rushing touchdown from Lamar Jackson a few plays later. Um, that was part of their you know, 14-0 run in the first half after the 49ers scored on their opening possession. And the 49ers still bounced back. It was one of those games, look, when you're a West Coast team, you play on the East Coast in an early start time, in a tough environment, in that weather against a team that had outscored its opponents 135-26 to over their previous three weeks. Um, to limit the Ravens to 20 points, which was their fewest of the season, to hold Lamar Jackson just 104 yards passing. I mean, it was a really strong showing. And and I think it was very much the heavyweight slugfest that a lot of people were, were hoping we would see. And I think it was one of those games where if those teams played 10 times, like, I don't think either team is winning more than six, right? Like, it's probably, yeah. they, they probably go five and five or six and four. Like, I think they're very evenly matched teams. And we talked about leading into it, like the Ravens are a really unique matchup because of what they do offensively. And I think that bore out. And I think actually maybe it was the conditions that, that factored into it, but I think the 49ers defense played better than I expected. uh, Just given, just given how, how unique of a challenge Lamar Jackson really is.
2: And it's, it's one of those things where you could see that game as it went along, you saw the 49ers learning and adapting and, I think if they do play them again in February, I think this game is going to benefit the 49ers a lot.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And I think it was one of those things, too, where the circumstances and the elements had a lot to do with what happened. There were a few passes. um, You know, Jimmy Garoppolo at the end of the first half trying to find Emmanuel Sanders. It looked like the ball slipped out of his hands. um, And that could have obviously helped the 49ers there. We'll talk about that that end of half sequence where the 49ers ended up settling for a 51 yard field goal from Robbie gold. That was well short uh, while the 49ers went to halftime with, with a timeout in their pocket. That was, that was a much discussed uh, sequence on, on the social medias. Um, But yeah, Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo completed 15 of 21, 71%, 165 yards, 7.9 yards per attempt, which is decent. Uh, one touchdown, no interceptions, 110.2 rating. Really, his biggest mistake was was the, losing the fumble in in the first quarter, uh, which led directly to the touchdown as we mentioned. Otherwise, not a great day from Garoppolo. Not a great day in in terms of you know sometimes like Garoppolo tries to do this thing where he will hold on to the ball for a really long time. And still try to make plays downfield. And, you know, that's an instinct that he has as somebody, you know, who's a playmaker who considers himself kind of a gunslinger, a guy always willing to be aggressive. But there were a few times where it's like, man, just get out of the pocket and throw the ball away. Or just, just throw it at the foot of your receiver so you don't really have to worry about, you know, like live to see another down. And I thought on that play where he was where he fumbled, that that was probably what he should have done. He should have got rid of the ball, take, taken the incompletion, and lived to see another down because he held on to the ball. Baltimore blitzes a ton, um, and it, it, it was just a situation where he put himself at risk of of making that kind of mistake and you know it you, you can only do so much in terms of ball security and like yeah he probably should have held onto the ball with with two hands or whatever and be burnt been a little bit firmer with his grip of the ball but i i think the more important thing is like just get rid of it just throw it just like dirt it somewhere find a receiver even if he's covered throw it at his feet and and just you know continue the drive don't get don't give the ball away to the ravens deep in your own territory
2: yeah, that's that's the biggest and when you when you look at any of these 49ers games whether it's against the Packers or the Ravens or the Cardinals or or whoever it is, I think the number one thing you look at or point to is is can they keep from turning the ball over? Can can Jimmy Garoppolo specifically keep from having that backbreaking turnover? And when you look at the Seahawks game, uh the Seahawks had very little offensive success when they weren't getting the ball on a turnover and and the defense wasn't given a short field and you know how that goes. So I think that's the one big thing that that continues to plague the 49ers. And I think if you're talking about games in December and January, uh, you can't afford those kind of mistakes because not every team is going to be the Steelers. Not every team is going to be as forgiving if if you turn it over uh, two, three, four times. And in close games like that against good teams, that one possession could be the difference, and we saw that on, on Sunday.
1: Yeah, so there was you know uh, uh, one other big play probably the other big play that we should talk about is the fourth and one in midway through the fourth quarter on on the fringe of of field goal range in a normal situation uh, there was a lot of a lot of going for it on fourth down in this game which i appreciate and and it it sort of spoke to the conditions and you also wonder you know if Robbie Gold isn't in his first game back off a of quad injury if they're playing in a you know in a dome or in, in Miami which figures to have good weather in February if these t- two teams do play again how much different the kicking game would be particularly for the 49ers um, obviously Robbie Gold missing that field goal from 51 yards out is problematic not being able to kick a 53 yarder there and instead having to go for it on fourth and one also proved to be problematic um, Jimmy Garoppolo drop back had you know the 49ers went in shotgun they they called a timeout after getting a look at what the Ravens were going to do defensively and decided that they weren't going to run the ball because the Ravens were selling out to stop the run. And, and you know, I, I haven't seen the all 22 yet. I'm assuming that what Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan says is true and that Raheem Mostert isn't exactly known for being a short yardage back. And we'll talk about Mostert here in a second, too. Uh, so you have Garoppolo looking for George Kittle on a short pass over the middle. It looked to me like Kittle was draped by Earl Thomas. And I don't even know if the ball wasn't tipped at the line of scrimmage, um, that, that Kittle would have even caught the pass or been able to catch the pass with Thomas right there. Yeah. But the ball is tipped up in the air by defensive lineman, Chris Wormley and, uh, falls incomplete could have been intercepted and taken the other way for a touchdown. Fortunately for the 49ers, it wasn't. Um, but, Really, a crucial point in the game because then it gives the Ravens the ball back with six and a half minutes left. They go on the game-winning drive, which includes, um, a, a, I think it was, was it two fourth-down conversions? At least one fourth-down conversion, and uh, and the Ravens seal the game with a 49-yard field goal from Justin Tucker, which also goes to prove, like with Robbie Gold not having a good year, uh, Justin Tucker being arguably the best kicker of all time means the Ravens have a huge advantage in the kicking game right now and uh and that proved to be pretty crucial because getting tucker to make that field goal from 49 yards and having gold miss his field goal from 51 yards albeit one that was partially tipped by marlon humphrey i mean that's a six point swing right so um in a three-point game that's obviously really important
2: yeah and that's why the 49ers paid robbie gold because they knew that some of these games are going to come down to to field goals and We saw it against the Seahawks. We saw it against the Ravens in two games that are probably playoff previews. If, if not, probably, uh, the, the Seahawks are certainly a team they could face in the playoffs. So, and if they're going to play in the Super Bowl, they might face the Ravens. And if it comes down to a field goal, like it might, uh, the 49ers paid gold, quite a bit of money to, to make kicks in big situations. And he hadn't really done it all year even prior to his injury and then uh, his his kick on Sunday obviously got blocked a little bit but I'm not sure it was going to be online anyways and in those conditions it's and I know this is a, a weird thing to say about a football team and it's probably a pretty good indicator of how good of a, of a football team uh, they are is that their kicking game I think is probably their Achilles heel right now like they, if if it's anything outside of forty yards, I I can't imagine they're super confident that that the ball's going through the uprights.
1: Yeah, and I talked to I talked to Robbie after the game, um, and I asked him if the injury played a factor, and he said not really, and and he said you know the conditions weren't great, and he was going to go back and and watch the tape on that fifty-one yard kick, but um, he said he might have approached it a little bit slow, and if that's the case, that. That it was his fault why the kick got blocked because as a kicker obviously you want to get it out of there in a timely fashion before those guys get there to block the kick but he also didn't like it wasn't a hard swing and I know and I know you know Robbie Gold isn't a guy who like kicks with a ton of force um, you know he's one of the like if you watch a golfer there are some guys who just don't swing very hard and they still hit it 300 yards uh, and I I would equate you know Robbie's kick. Uh, Robbie's kicking style is similar to that he's just not a hard swinger with his foot but on that play it was like it looked like he was watching it on on the the TV copy again it looked like it, he was trying for like a 25 yard kick and uh, he just didn't hit it very hard and and I don't know what the deal was with that whether it's a confidence thing whether it's something where it's your first attempt after missing three games um, because of an injury I it was it was an odd kick. And, and to your point, yeah, I don't know if it, if he was going to make it even if it didn't get tipped. But that's going to be something to watch going forward. At least the 49ers know that their next game in New Orleans, the, the conditions are not going to be a factor. It's going to be on turf in a dome, obviously. And so they won't have to worry about that. Um, do want to talk about Raheem Mostert for a second. 146 yards and 19 carries. He beat his previous career high of 87 yards in that Monday night game last October 2018 against the Packers uh, he did that in the first half and he had a really nice 40 yard touchdown run um, he was explosive on that play he broke a couple tackles he put a move on Earl Thomas he got some great great blocking from George Kittle Mike McGlinchey and, and Richie James on the outside one of Richie James few snaps that he received at receiver um, but Mostert you know, the plan wasn't to make him the, the featured back in that game. It was just he took advantage of his carries early on, and Tevin Coleman was struggling. And Mostert wound up playing 40 snaps, like I said, getting his career high in, in total yardage, while Coleman played just 10 snaps, had five carries for six yards. And uh, and Mostert, I mean, he's a team's second-leading rusher now. And you look at the 49ers and their rushing totals this season. Matt Breida, who hasn't played in three games, is still there – is still their leading rusher with 542 yards, averaging five yards a carry. Mostert's up to 539, averaging 5.9 yards per carry, which is very good. And then you have Tevin Coleman. Uh, his yards per carry numbers are down a little bit. He's at 3.8, but he also has six touchdowns. Um, I just think, you know, the 49ers are still the number two rushing team in the league. I just think it's interesting now that, you know, we knew Mostert had could do this in, in spurts, but he really did it over a full game for the first time in his career, I thought. And uh, and you wonder with Breida expected or maybe likely to play uh, Sunday in New Orleans, you know, with this three-headed monster now, with everybody's get you know getting sort of established as the season goes on. I think it's really interesting to. I'm curious to see what this running game is going to look like with with all three of these guys healthy because they're all a little bit different in their running styles.
2: Yeah, the I, I have a couple things there. I'm not sure if he, Taylor Mays got juked or if uh, not Taylor Mays, um, Earl <laughs> Thomas. T- two different players. Th- two very different players. <laughs> Earl Thomas a little bit better. Uh, I'm not sure if Earl Thomas got a move put on him as much as he made a business decision. It was very strange. Like I've never seen Earl Thomas whiff a tackle that bad. It almost looked like it was on purpose.
1: Well Mostert did cut back inside. I think Thomas was was going to to hit him to try to put him out of bounds and then Mostert slowed and, and cut back in.
2: It was a strange strange play from a from a future Hall of Fame safety for sure. Yeah. I actually wrote about Raheem Mostert on Ninerswire dot com and the way that A, he's been running inside better than I thought he was capable of. His touchdown against Green Bay was a nice run inside. I know Green Bay had kind of tapped out at that point, but uh, yesterday he had a couple of nice runs that that didn't require him to get to the edge. He's averaging now with the 49ers. Check this out. He's run the ball 133 times with the 49ers, and he's averaging 6.3 yards a carry. That is bananas. And it wouldn't surprise me. I'm I'm with you. I don't think that he's going to be a feature back who's getting 15 carries a game or anything, but... With Breida coming back off an ankle injury, Tevin Coleman has 122 yards in his last 49 carries. Like He's just really been struggling lately. If Raheem Mostert is what the 49ers need to get their run game going, and he's going to be the guy who, who can pick up chunk plays like he did on Sunday, it wouldn't surprise me to see him get 12 carries a game, 10 to 12 carries a game, if because they need that kind of spark if tevin coleman's not going to provide it
1: before we get to winners and losers uh, let's take a quick break looking for a great gift for somebody in your life yep well kyle as as you know blades are really important razor blades dude
2: i don't i know it
1: yeah because you're one of those like tell me tell me exactly how much of a hassle it is to shave your head with a razor like you do because i have no idea my hair is so thick and luscious i just I'm not familiar with that process
2: it used to be a real pain until i started using harry's let me tell you i used to have to go over it like two or three times it was brutal and i was going through razors and it was expensive and i thought maybe i'll just let my hair grow back out but then i started letting it grow back out and ooh boy is it ugly uh but then harry's came into my <laughs> life and now not only are the razors better uh but they're cheaper they're well made it's wonderful
1: yeah, so listeners, listeners to our show can get $5 off any Harry's Shave set by, head, by heading to harrys.com slash bluewire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. It's a great deal for you and any other male person in your life. Holiday sets start at just $20, well within Secret Santa limits, and Harry's Blade refills are as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time, and it comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box. Interesting. And your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. So as a special offer for fans of Candlestick Chronicles, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with option to engrave, five blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, packaged in a handsome holiday gift box so free shipping ends december 16th so act now just go to harrys.com bluewire blue wire that's harrys.com slash blue wire hey kyle with the holiday rush here you have to be able to ship orders out quickly efficiently and affordably but how do you keep track of all of those orders decide which shipping carrier to use or if you're getting the best rates Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use our our offer code BLUE to get a free 60-day trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE, ShipStation, make ship happen. Alright, so let's go over the winners and losers that we've compiled for this week. Uh, I'll start with the first winner, Fred Warner. Another really good game. He's put together it feels like about a month of of really strong performances. Eleven tackles, two pass breakups, uh, including one on fourth down, a fourth down play in the fourth quarter. Everybody talks about Warner, you know, the coaching staff, players in the locker room, as you know, the quarterback of the defense. And this week he had a really difficult job in trying to slow down the Ravens offense and you know there there isn't really any one way to to slow the Ravens which I think is is the biggest issue when you face them right now but limiting them to 283 yards I know they ran the ball a lot um, 178 yards on 38 carries which is a ton a 4.7 yard average but Warner is just continuing to stack up these really good games and the fact that he's just you know entering the end of his second season I think you start to look at year three, year four, you know, year five down the road for Werner, and you're going to be talking about one of the better linebackers in football because you know he came into the league as somebody who was really, really smart, uh, pretty athletic for a linebacker, particularly in coverage. And I think what you're seeing now is somebody who plays with a little bit more force in the running game, and uh, and he's just evolving into a really important player in the defense and uh, and a really valuable starter who's playing at a high level right now.
2: He is the prototypical modern linebacker uh built like more of uh what we would think of a of a like strong safety but physical like a linebacker and you you said he's super smart uh if you're trying to find the perfect player to play a middle linebacker position in a in a three four it's it's fred warner he's been dynamite really really good terrific
1: <laughs> uh, Tevin Coleman is our first loser. Ten snaps, five carries, six yards. Like we mentioned, um, it, it, this isn't necessarily an indictment of Col- Coleman. This is just a, a segment about who didn't play particularly well. Um, Coleman did have a good block on the uh, the first third down conversion where Garoppolo found Kendrick Bourne on the right side for a 30 yard gain that set up Debo Samuel's touchdown. Um, so yeah, Tevin Coleman winds up in the loser column because Raheem Mostert basically supplanted him and played really well while Coleman didn't, didn't do a whole lot, uh, with the ball in his hands. Uh, speaking of the running game, how about a winner? Mike McGlinchey, right? Tackle. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said that he's put together the best two games of the season. The last couple weeks, obviously he had the, the knee issue earlier in the season against Cleveland that led to surgery to repair a torn meniscus. McGlinchey's healthy now. It looks like he's back to that really good edge-setting road block, road grader along, uh, you know, for outside zone runs, which is what he was in here for. He made Pro Football focus his Team of the Week. Uh, did really well in pass protection, and uh, just a, a good game for McGlinchy The uh, the joke goes the the grizzled veteran Mike McGlinchey in a second
2: season. <laughs> I think that. McGlinchy's performance the last couple weeks bodes really well for Joe Staley and his return because you'll remember Staley and McGlinchey both returned against Seattle and neither were particularly excellent but McGlinchey is now playing better now that he has his legs back underneath him and I think if the 49ers can get Staley playing it at a high level too once he comes back I know Shanahan anticipates him back against the Saints if he starts playing at a high level again once he has a couple of games under his belt the, the 49ers are going to really start clicking offensively I think
1: yeah and as an aside every time you tweet about Joe Staley and you know his his him potentially coming back um, I do want to remind people that he probably did come back too soon in that Seahawks game from the broken leg and uh, there are there are a lot of people on Twitter who feel like it's important to 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 voice their opinion and say staley should retire staley got destroyed by jadavian clowny and Tuxie. staley's a bum now um staley is basically i mean basically what happened is his back seized up because it was compensating for the leg injury and this Maybe this doesn't happen if he's 25 instead of 35, mm-hmm. um, but I think it was a sign that he probably returned a little bit too soon from that injury. So obviously the, the finger issue is not something you want to have to deal with, but if there is a silver lining, it gives Staley's leg a better chance to, to get healthy, and so I think Staley, when he does come back, if he comes back Sunday, is going to play at a much higher level than he did in that Seahawks game and uh, everybody tweeting me every time there's a staley update that he should retire and that brunskill's better or justin school's better for that matter um hopefully they'll feel stupid for for tweeting something like that anyway uh kaywan williams a loser for getting and one mixtapes by uh Oof. by lamar jackson on that run in the second quarter kaywan williams is having a really good year and he's probably one of the better nickel corners in the league right now but Lamar Jackson's juke right that sent K1 Will- Williams on his ass to, to Jackson's left, like, like it was Allen Iverson or something, was, uh, I mean, it was just a remarkable move by Jackson, and it's, it's just unfortunate that Williams had to be on that side of it.
2: When you get juked so badly that your legs cross and then <laughs> your legs uncross before your ass hits the ground, that's incredible. <laughs> like, and like you said k1 williams should be a pro bowler this year he's been an excellent nickel corner uh and on that play he did everything right that was just an example of what lamar jackson does to nfl defenses you can defend him perfectly which is what k1 williams did there and every other quarterback in the league literally every other quarterback in the league is sacked but lamar jackson is is Looked like prime Barry Sanders with the ball in his hands and and it it showed on that play.
1: Yeah, and I really enjoyed uh, the crowd's reaction to that one because like if you've been to a Warriors game, I haven't been to Chase Center yet, but you if you've gone to a Warriors game the last few years at Oracle and Steph Curry crosses somebody up and hits a three. That's sort of how the crowd reacted to Lamar Jackson putting K one Williams on his ass. Right. It was uh, the crowd just go the, the crowd just goes oh and then they go nuts when he when he breaks free to to the right side there. Um, an incredible play from Jackson. So s- sadly Williams is a uh, is a loser on this one. Winner Marcel Harris. A uh, huge strip sack just a couple plays after being inserted into the game to replace Kwiatkowski Tart who has a rib fracture now because he took a Looked like he took a knee to the ribs when he was trying to tackle Mark Ingram. Um, you know, Harris being a sixth-round pick in 2018, somebody who was coming off of torn Achilles, he didn't play his final season at Florida. He's been a pretty good player on special teams. Um, but I think, you know, Jaquaski tard is obviously a, a much better player overall at this point right now. But for Harris to come in and make that play forced the, four, the first fumble of the year from Jackson, particularly after the way the Ravens were driving to open that second half, it looked like they were going to score. Um, and that changed the game because the 49ers went down the other way, kicked a field goal, uh, and you know who knows what the outcome of that game is if, if the Ravens end up getting a touchdown there. Um, But that was a huge play in the game and uh, a really nice play for Marcel Harris, who isn't scared out there like he he plays really hard. He's really physical. And uh, and I think as you know, I think 49ers fans should feel pretty confident with Harris in there, particularly around the line of scrimmage. Um, You know, we don't know how how adept he is at at, in coverage yet or if he's a liability in, in coverage. But uh, I think as as far as, you know, like a third or fourth safety goes, I think Harris is playing pretty well. And that was an enormous play in that game. And obviously the biggest play of his career.
2: Yeah. Two things on Harris. One, I thought it was kind of poetic that he was in for Joukowsky Tart and had a strip very similar to the one Tart had against DK Metcalf in that in that Seahawks game to prevent a touchdown that that would have changed the entire complexion of the game. So, a lot of parallels there including the loss on a last second field goal so maybe 49er safeties should stop stripping the football that's my takeaway there uh, <laughs> no um, Harris on that first play the first play he was in got turned around pretty bad uh, he got he got fooled pretty badly and my initial thought was the Ravens are going to figure out a way to just isolate Harris and have him running all over the field. Uh, and then he came up with a play like that, which is just a pure hustle, um, safety being heads up and finding the football. Uh, and then the athleticism to track Jackson down in that situation, uh, the strength to get the ball away from him, like just a really, really excellent play by the second year safety off the practice squad. Um, yeah, uh, tip of the hat to Marcel Harris.
1: Uh, Marquise Goodwin, loser, to wrap this thing up. Uh, zero offensive snaps, one special team snap. Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, almost got exclusively like all of the offensive snaps. Um, and you know, Marquise Goodwin signing that new contract. I think he's making something like six million dollars a year. He's pretty much been a non-factor lately. And you have to wonder if his time is running up with the 49ers. And what I think is interesting is that there was so much talk about, um, you know, in August and early in the season, the 49ers rotating receivers as much as they were because they wanted guys to step up and establish themselves. Obviously, when you trade for a player like Emmanuel Sanders, that changes things. But the fact that the 49ers have basically settled on Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne as the second and third receivers you know Goodwin clearly hasn't done much in practice or hasn't done much to endear himself to Kyle Shanahan lately to get no playing time in a game like that and and I know the conditions don't necessarily lend themselves to a lot of deep passes but to have Goodwin's speed as an element to take the top off the defense when the Ravens were blitzing as much as they were um, and playing the run as heavily as they were you wonder if Goodwin could have factored into that game and and clearly Kyle Shanahan hasn't seen enough from Goodwin to incorporate him into the game plan or maybe it was just just a factor of the the conditions being what they were but obviously a receiver you're paying that much money a veteran a guy is you would think that he would factor into the game plan somewhat and Goodwin didn't and so you have to wonder what Goodwin's future is going to be with this team going forward
2: yeah they they can The 49ers next season, if they release him after June 1st, uh, only have $625,000 in dead cap for 2020 and 2021. They would save $4.5 million on the cap in 2020. Um, And with the route his, his role is taking, he was inactive against the Packers. He played a special team snap against against Baltimore. And he probably honestly if Dante Pettis is healthy, he probably would have been inactive again. And I just I, I'm not sure if there's if there's a role for him, especially with Jalen Hurd coming back next year and like there's just I, I don't know where where there's a role for Marquise Goodwin on this team if if he's not one of their, their top two or three wideouts
1: agreed um so the elephant in the room as we're recording this is what's happening in the seahawks and vikings game and that obviously has a huge ramification has huge ramifications on the standings and uh, i'm uh, so seahawks... happy you're
2: saying something right now because it was really hard to not react to what just happened
1: <laughs> so if the seahawks win if they beat the minnesota vikings they take over sole possession of first place in the nfc west because they own the tiebreaker which means the 49ers will be a wild card team in the fifth seed uh, and they fear, if the season ended today and it doesn't, um, they would have to go on the road to win all their, you know, they, they wouldn't get a home game in the postseason as a wild card team. And they obviously wouldn't get a first round bye. uh, so the Seahawks just Russell Wilson just threw a pick six. He had a ball batted in, in, in the air, um, that was returned for a touchdown. I think he tipped it back up into the air that let a Vikings he, player get to it. What was he I don't doing know what he there? was doing. I don't know what he was doing, I but think he was uh, I don't want to wanna, get it
2: away from the line. Sorry, that was just a, that was a wild play.
1: It was a wild play. It's still the first half of this game. I don't want to talk about it too much because this podcast is going to come out on Tuesday, oh, and we're going to sure. have an opportunity to talk about the standings and all the ramifications from this game um, on Thursday when we preview the upcoming Saints game. But I did want to mention that Russell Wilson just threw a pick six. I think it's just his third interception of the year. That sounds right. Um, so the Vikings are leading 14-7 with five minutes remaining in the second quarter, and they just got a big play to back to midfield. So we'll have to see. Anyway, we'll talk about the standings more on Thursday. But now it's time for the uh, the Demetri Moore MVP award for Sunday's loss, the 2017 loss to the Ravens. Um, I'm going to go with Raheem Mostert, career-high 146 yards. Just a really good game. Like we mentioned, the 49ers running game could be really dynamic when Matt Breida comes back. You have Breida, Mostert, and Tevin Coleman. Um, obviously the running game is a foundation of what Kyle Shanahan wants to do with all his heavy sets and the use of play action and things like that. Uh, so Raheem Mostert getting that touchdown, really open th- opening things up for the 49ers offense. He is this week's Demontre Moore MVP for me. Kyle, do you have, do you have somebody else?
2: No, it's it's got like to be mention? Mostert. As good as Fred Warner was, I want to give honorable mention to Fred Warner. Uh, Raheem Mostert was really excellent. Uh, on Sunday he didn't slow down at all as the game went on and he was really the reason the Niners were in that game uh, offensively after the touchdown to Debo
1: all right well that's gonna do it I think uh, I'm gonna take advantage of this opportunity of being in Florida and I might spend Tuesday at Disney World there's a chance Rumor has it some Which other park? some other See, uh, you, you, reporters and or 49ers employees are down to go to Disney World so hopefully it doesn't fall th- fall through and I didn't just jinx it but uh, I'm gonna ma- I'm gonna bang out a mailbag Tuesday morning and uh, and try to get to uh, Disney.
2: Uh, okay, so you can't just say Disney World like Disneyland because I think it's five parks. Which park are you going to?
1: I don't know, to be honest.
2: You should do
1: probably uh, just you, Disney World, right? Nope.
2: Isn't, Nope. Disney World is a whole thing. There's Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom is like Big Disneyland. Like it looks like Yeah, Magic
1: much. Kingdom is probably the one I'm thinking
2: Oh, of. okay. Uh, you should try Epcot if you can. I went
1: there as a kid. I remember nothing about it, but I remember being there. I think I was like four years old.
2: Okay, it's 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 not a lot of like rides and stuff. Um, but there is a whole like uh thing with all the different countries where you can go around and drink beer from those countries and I, if i know anything about the beat writers that sounds like it's something that's right up their alley
1: <laughs> we do like our beer um yeah curious as to what the beer scene is like in florida kind of um hey, if
2: you're a beer company sponsor our pod we'll drink it and talk about how good it is that's a
1: great idea yeah i i that's would love it. that um Should get kevin on that yeah absolutely kj kj make sponsors. it happen yeah um All right, guys. Well, we are going to be back with a podcast later in this week, previewing uh, next week's game against the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans. Um, Speaking of beer or just alcohol in general, the next weekend in New Orleans figures to be very interesting. Um, But we'll talk about that on Thursday when we preview that game. Uh, Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get this Candlestick Chronicles podcast on the Blue Wire Network, And, uh, and we will talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening.